This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg He explains when the Torah says to be Jewish and to act like a Jew and to live a Jewish way of life, to think like a Jew and speak like a Jew and act like a Jew, to follow the code of Jewish law. And that's something that's very near and dear to every Jew. It's doable. And not only is it doable, but it's near and dear to every Jew to do it with feeling, with heart, to be heartfelt. Not just to do it coldly, mechanically, but to do it with feeling, with love. Unfortunately, we know too many cases where people who grew up in households, grew up observant, in households where there was precious little love. Everything was harsh. Everything was cold. And they couldn't run away fast enough. Because a Judaism that's not done with love does not last, cannot sustain itself. Yes, the mitzvah is divine, and it's the truth. And who cares how you feel, you don't feel? Just do it. Discipline. It's the right thing to do. It's the truth. Two plus two is four is true, whether you feel it, you don't feel it, you like it, you don't like it. Let's for once, come on, be nice. Let's play the plus two is five. It always has to be at four. You know, it is what it is. So the Torah is what it is. The mitzvahs are what they are. What they are. Whether it was done with love and not with love, the mitzvah is done. It's a reality. It's a fact. But nevertheless, you need that love. You need that energy. You need that to sustain it, to motivate you. And to elevate the mitzvah, that to have some, some connection with Hashem, some godliness, to bring some, reveal some godliness within the mitzvah. Otherwise, the fact that the mitzvah is divine remains hidden and concealed. You're bringing God into this world, into your life, instead of bringing Him into a palace, instead of bringing Him into a warm, inviting place, you bring Him into a dungeon, a dark dungeon, where He's not welcome, you're not even thinking about God, you're not thinking about anything godly. It's a very harsh, cold, egotistical place. So unless there is some motivation, some love for Hashem, that you're doing this out of a thought for Hashem, out of a love for Hashem, out of some sort of relationship we have with Hashem, if there's no thought of Hashem in the process of doing the mitzvah, I'm just doing it mechanically and by rote because I, I grew accustomed to it, because I'm used to it, because I feel comfortable doing it, but there's no sense, there's no love, there's no motivation, then the mitzvah is dead. It's a dead mitzvah, it's a corpse, it's a body without a soul. And in this chapter 46, after describing in the previous chapters different types of loves for Hashem, here he's describing a very profound, a very powerful love that everyone could evoke within themselves. Even someone who cannot successfully develop 
the other loves that he discussed. Because in general, to love, you have to have some sensitivity. You have to be a little selfless, a little egoless. To love another person, especially to love Hashem, you have to have a little humility, you have to have a little egolessness in order to develop a love for Hashem. Not everyone is capable. Not everyone has a sensitivity. Not everyone has the zitzflesh. Because it's unnatural to be selfish and self-centered and self-absorbed. That's very natural. But to be egoless and selfless and kind and loving and sensitive to another person, sensitive to Hashem, that takes development. That takes tremendous development. Refinement, development, focus, concentration. Not everyone is equipped. Not everyone has the capacity or the interest or the, or the motivation. But in this chapter, 46, he's describing a love that's relevant to everyone. Everyone could develop this love. Because, and even someone who's coarse and crass. On the contrary, the, more co- the coarser you are, the more crass you are, the easier it is for you to develop this love. Why? Because you don't have to develop this love. It comes naturally. It's the most natural thing in the world. Just like, as King Solomon says, the way he interprets that just like a mirror reflects back your image, does the mirror have to develop a sensitivity, develop in order to reflect back your image? No, it comes naturally. You look into the mirror, the mirror can't help but reflect your image back. So too, King Solomon says that one heart responds to another heart. If someone loves you and likes you, you can't help but liking them in return and loving them in return. And if you don't believe King Solomon, try it. It's an, try it as an experiment. Take someone you don't love or doesn't love you and love them. Develop a love for them. Take a real liking to them. You'll see that that person can help. His heart can help but respond in kind. Just like the mirror can help or reflect back your love, your image, your reflection. So too, the other person's heart can't help but reflect back your love. Unless he's not aware of it. But the moment he senses, or the moment you reveal that you love that person, you demonstrate that you love that person, and you care about that person, and you like that person, that person will like you back. Can't help it. It's natural. <laughs> he doesn't have to work on it. There's no work involved. It comes most, it's natural. And that's if someone you're equal likes you. Your peer, you're equal. Not someone who's superior to you. Imagine if Bill Gates suddenly took a liking to you, the richest man in the world, hmm. do you think it would be difficult for you to like him back? <laughs> if Einstein suddenly took interest in you and just liked you, you know, from everyone in the world, all his colleagues and his... He took a liking to you. He said, I really like you and I really love you and I really care for you and, and he would call you and how are you and let's have a cup of coffee together. I mean... You think it would be difficult for you to love him back? To care for him? Even if you had a heart of stone. If you're the most selfish, coarsest, crassest, lowlife on earth. Who has no sensitivity to anything. You think it would be difficult for you to love and like and really? So multiply that infinite time. And Hashem, who's so great, He's so vast, so great, so beyond anything we can imagine. Just to get a, a grip of how great Hashem is, 
you know, all you have to do is close your eyes and imagine you're black. You are one person who's black, and then this whole city, and then imagine the state, and then imagine your country, and imagine your continent, and imagine the whole entire world, and then imagine all the planets, and then imagine just our star system, and imagine our entire galaxy, imagine all the galaxies and you within this galaxy, how huge the world is and how small we are. A speck of dust, not even. And Hashem is greater than all of this. Hashem has created the whole world. Hashem is greater than the whole universe. So Hashem was so great. And yet, He took a liking to me. He chose the Jewish people. And He said, I'm attracted to you. I want to marry you. <laughs> not the angels. Not the sublime spiritual being. Pure energy. Pure love. Pure intellect. Who did Hashem marry? Who, did, who was He attracted to? The Jewish people. And in what state were the Jewish people? Where did He find us? In Egypt. Slaves. Slaves. The 49 levels of impurity. We were decadent. We were idolaters. We were addicted. We were at the bottom of the barrel. And Hashem fell in love with us. And he's attracted to us. And he said, I want to marry you. And he lifted us out from the dunghill and cleansed us and washed us and brought us back with him into the palace, Mount Sinai, into his palace, into his innermost chamber and was intimate with us. Through his Torah and his mitzvot, he kissed us, he hugged us, he embraced us through the mitzvot which is like his right hand, his left hand, and the center, all different types of mitzvot, the 248 mitzvot. And he kissed us. He gave us his Torah. When we physically move our lips and speak the words of the Torah, and it's not just the physical kissing, it's also the spirit, touching the spirit. It's the love, it's the connection, it's the intimacy. When we understand deeply, we go, go deeply, delve deeply into the Torah until we really understand it very well. We grasp the Torah. So it's, it's soul, meeting soul, we're being intimate with Hashem. Our lips are touching and we are being intimate with Hashem. So here Hashem is taking us into His innermost chambers, being intimate with us, He's marrying us, He's kissing us, He's hugging us, and He's attracted to us. Do you think it's difficult for us to reciprocate that love, that we should feel some attraction to Hashem, some love to Hashem? We should be attracted to godliness and godly things? It's the most natural thing in the world. Even if we have a heart of stone, how can we help ourselves? But just melt and just be attracted to Hashem. That's what we learned last week. And now, and he said, and this is what we say in every mitzvah, that God sanctified us, Kiddushan, comes from the word, Kiddushin, marriage. Hashem is attracted to us. From all his possible soulmates, who did he choose to marry? And to be intimate with? He's not intimate with the angels. The angels question, where is God? They don't know what God looks like. They can't find Him. And they answer, you know where God is? He's on earth. He's with the Jewish people. He's here. He chose to enter into the darkness, into the coarseness, into the crassness, into this this world. Bodies, human beings, body and soul, and to become intimate with us. In Egypt, and to take us out and bring us 
into his innermost chamber and become intimate with us, Torah Mitzvah, which they don't have in heaven. So we can't help but, re- but love Hashem in return. And it's natural. Not only this hidden love, hidden innate inherent love that every Jew has to God, this pintle yid, which is hidden and buried and submerged and it's difficult to access. Just natural. It comes natural to our ego. Someone loves you and is attracted to you. You can't help but love them and retract, be attracted to them in return. How much more so if that person happens to be a Bill Gates or an Einstein or happens to be the greatest king, the greatest personality. It happens to be God himself. God loves us and attracted to us and, and he demonstrates his love for us. How can we help? We can't help but love Hashem in return. He cares about us. How many people could you count? You probably count on one hand. How many people really care about you? <laughs> when push comes to shove. When it boils down to it. How many people really, really care about you? If you met someone who really cared about you, you can't help but love them. You can't help it. You don't have to work on it. You know, everyone in America is working on love. You're working on love because <laughs> if, love, if, love, if it's real, if someone cares about you, you don't have to work on it. It comes natural. You would love them, you care about them in return. Very simple. Someone loves you and cares about you, you love them and care about them in return. It's the most natural thing in the world. Imagine if God cares about us. And he cares about us to such an extent that he abandoned everything, heaven and the heaven of heavens, and came down to us on our level, and our lowliness, and lifted us up, and cares about us, and washed us, and cleansed us, and brought us back with him into his palace, into his intimate, most, into most intimate chambers, and became intimate with us, and kisses us, and hugs us, and is intimate with us, and is attracted to us. How could we, I mean, God cares us to such an extent, how could we not care about God? and care about his Torah, and care about his mitzvot. And even if we have a heart of stone, there's nothing that will get in the way of us connecting with God, and becoming intimate with God, and hugging God back, and kissing him back, through Torah, studying his Torah, and doing his mitzvot. So this is surely something that's dear and near to every Jew. Even a Jew who's not spiritual, a Jew who's not sensitive, a Jew who hasn't developed his spiritual capacity. On the contrary, the, less, uh, the more underdeveloped the Jew is, the easier it is for him to love God. Because look at the contrast. God loves me. I'm so underdeveloped. I'm so spiritually underdeveloped. I'm so spiritually handicapped. I'm such a lowlife. And God loves me despite all of that. I, I can't help it. God cares about me. I can't help but care back and love God back with all my heart and all my soul and all my being. And nothing will get in the way of us connecting and becoming into. So that's what he explained, that's what we learned last week. And now he's going a little deeper and he's saying, when we say Kiddushanu, he sanctified us, he's telling us to what level Hashem elevated us. Hashem elevated us to his, whole, his own level, his own level of holiness. It's not just that Hashem is revealing a part of himself. But his innermost being, his essence. Hashem, his part, the essence of Hashem, which is like transcendent, Kiddushanu, which is a holy and transcendent, we become intimate with the essence of Hashem. Like as an intimacy, as in marriage, 
Everything else in life, we're role-playing. It's an act. Our professions, our business, we role-play, we act. You can be a doctor, you can be a lawyer, you can be a teacher. It's an, it's an act. You're role-playing. It's not your essence. You're projecting a certain image. And you can put on many hats. In the course of a day, you can be an administrator, you can be a doctor, you can be a teacher, you can, you can be many things. You can be a friend, and you can be... But it's all role-playing. There's only one area in life which you go beyond role-playing. It's your essence. In intimacy, in a marriage, in a relationship, you are revealing your essence. It's not just an act. It's not just something that you're doing. It's body and soul, mind and heart, conscious, subconscious, every fiber of your being, every bone in your body, 100%. There's no part of you that's left out of the picture. That's why you give everything that you have. That's why, as a result, you know you give birth to a child. You give everything that you have to your child. Not only what's revealed, even what's hidden. Parents who are blind are able to give birth to children who can see. How can you give something you don't have? Because deep down, you have the potential to see. It's just there's a problem in the eye. So you give everything. In that moment of intimacy, you give everything. There's no holding back. There's no part of you that's left out. Your whole essence is completely focused and concentrated at that moment. So he's saying when God, Kiddushonu, when God is intimate with us and marries us, we're becoming one and intimate with the essence of God, the level of God, where God transcends this world, transcends the whole frame of reference of the universe, where God is for himself, where God is intimate with himself and that's what he is connecting us with we're connecting with the very essence of God himself that totally transcends this whole world and this whole universe and transcends this whole frame of reference angels, spirituality, higher levels of consciousness doesn't even begin to connect become close to where God is for himself that's what we call holy that's what we call God is holy because God transcends the whole universe God is totally beyond us his essence is totally beyond us and yet when a Jew does Torah, when he does mitzvot, it says God invests himself into the Torah and the mitzvot. The very first word of the Ten Commandments, Anoichi, I who am I, that transcends all names and all descriptions, even the holy names of Hashem Elokecha. He can't even describe it because you're talking about the essence of God. So the Medrash says Anoichi is an acronym for four words in Aramaic. Ano, Nafshi, I have given my soul into the Torah. Hashem invests himself into every letter, into every word of the Torah. When a five-year-old child learns a piece of Chumash and Rashi and he grasps it according to his level, he is connecting and being intimate with the very essence of God. And the word itself, is actually an Egyptian word. So uh, the irony, where did God invest his essence? Not in the heavens, not in the heaven of heavens, but in the Egyptian words. Egypt was the most decadent of all countries. And that's where God found us, the Jewish people. And that's where, where He chose us. And I mean, that's where He took us out from Egypt in order to marry us, to choose us as His wife. And He married us at Mount Sinai to give us the Torah. So when a Jew studies Torah, a Jew is connecting. When a Jew does a mitzvah, 
We say in the blessing, we're connecting and being intimate with the very essence of God. We become one, unified with the very essence of God, with the holiness of God, with the transcendence of God. So it's not just that God is revealing a personal side of himself. God is revealing his essential being, himself. The way he is for himself. Where he completely transcends this entire world and universe. And that's what a Jew is connecting with when we study Torah. And that's what gives the Jew his eternity. And that's what gives the Jew the strength not to be impressed by all the obstacles and not to be impressed by the opposition, by the fact that 99.9% of the world fiercely opposed the Jew and everything that we stood for. Because when, we, when we're being intimate with the very essence of God, with the very holiness of God, that completely transcends the whole universe, what do we care what public opinion thinks? What do we care whether it's popular or not popular? Who cares? I know what they have in the inside. I'm married to God. I'm being intimate with God. Every time we do a mitzvah, one mitzvah, I feel... I, as long as, as I have God, well, well, who cares? What significance is it? What the angels think? What people think? It, it means absolutely nothing. I know what they have in the inside, and it warms my heart. I know I have this marriage, and I have this relationship, and I have this love and this mutual attraction, and, this, and it's the most natural thing in the world. Just like husband and wife, the attraction is the most natural thing in the world. So it doesn't matter what happens on the outside. That's all external and can't touch me. can't affect me. I always remain free on the inside. I feel like a royalty on the inside. A Jew always feels like royalty. A Jew feels that he's holy. We're a holy nation because we're connected to a holy God. And we have a holy land because we're following his holy Torah. And therefore, no one can touch us. When you're dealing with holiness, and you're dealing with a holy land, what do we care what the President of the United States thinks? We're dealing here with the holy land, with the holy Torah. The only thing that matters to us is what the holy Torah thinks, what our holy God thinks, or what the... Because that's, that's reality to us. And if a Jew carried himself with the proper dignity, and a Jew spoke... Not only the Hebrew language, but spoke with Hebrew content, spoke with the holiness and the authority of the Torah, then we wouldn't have any problems. All this pressure would just dissipate. Because when you speak the truth, and you speak the divine truth, then all opposition just melts away. You just have to have the strength to speak the truth. But this is what a Jew plugs in with, to. This is what a Jew is connected with. We are sanctified through his mitzvah. Page 691, the second paragraph. This is also the meaning of the blessing alluded to above, who has sanctified us by his commandments. The verb kiddushanu, here meaning that he has elevated us to the heights of the supreme holiness, which is the holiness of the Holy One, blessed be he himself. Kedusha, holiness, is a term indicating separateness, in that the Holy One, blessed be He, is apart from the worlds. 
This being the quality of encompassing all worlds, being unable to clothe himself within them. Because of the inability of created beings to absorb the extreme holiness of this transcendent level, Hashem, as it were, cannot enclose himself within the world, <clears throat> and therefore affects them in an encompassing manner. It is to this lofty level that the Jews are elevated through their performance of mitzvah. For through the union of the soul, with, with and its absorption into the light of the Ein Sof, it attains the quality and the degree of holiness of the blessed Ein Sof himself, since it unites itself with him and is integrated into him, and they become truly one. As he said earlier, that the analogy of husband and wife is only an analogy, because the truth is the intimacy between a Jew and God is much more intimate in the analogy of husband and wife. And there it, it is the closest we can get, the closest human analogy we can find to help describe this type of intimacy where husband and wife become completely one and there is this, this powerful mutual attraction and it usually works both ways. If there's a powerful attraction from one end, it evokes the attraction from the other end. If the heart, if there's a, a love in one heart, the other heart is like a mirror and can't help but reflect that love and that attraction back. And this is the most natural thing in the world. Very powerful attraction. And then they become intimate and then they become one. But this is the closest we can get. But when it comes to Torah and mitzvah, the truth is it's a much more profound union a much more profound unity that when we study Torah and we do mitzvot we actually become one with God we become absolutely inseparable we become absolutely one and we become one and intimate with God's essence with God's transcendent self which the entire universe cannot receive, cannot absorb and cannot connect with and can't even touch not the angels not through religion, not through meditation not through love, not through philosophy, not through higher levels of consciousness, not through music, art. And yet, every time you do a mitzvah, you light the Shabbat candle, you put on the tefillin, you eat the matzah, you do a mitzvah, you are becoming one with the holiness of Hashem. At that moment, you have been elevated and you have become one with the infinite, one with Hashem Himself. And it's the only possibility. There's nothing else. There's no other possibility. There's no other way for us to become one and intimate with God. Not through love and not through meditation. It's when you do the mitzvah and when you study the Torah, at that moment, you actually become one with the transcendent level of holiness of Hashem. And you become one with that holiness. You become that part of that holiness. You know, they tell the story that um, there was a uh, Jew in Eastern Europe who was an informer. And the Hasidim suffered from him because he would always go to the authorities and inform against his fellow Jews. 
and they went to their Rebbe and says, Rebbe, please curse this Jew. He's destroying our lives. You know, everyone has skeleton in the closet and he's running to the authorities and paddling on everyone. He's an insider. He knows all our weak points. And when he came to the Rebbe, the Rebbe thought for a second. He says, I look at his face. His face is radiating like an angel. I said, no more surprise. What are you radiating like an angel? The guy is a lowlife, a bum, good for nothing. What are you radiating? Anyway, they decided before they leave town, they have to try once more. They go into the Rebbe again. He says, Rebbe, please. So he looks. He says, ah, oh, what ugliness. What ugly, disgusting behavior. He says, I'll take care of him. You won't have to worry about him again. And we're puzzled. Yesterday they came in. He said his face is radiating like an angel. And here he saw him in all his ugliness. And later on when they came back to town, they found out that at that day, he brought his son. His son had a bris. He was in the middle of performing the mitzvah of a bris. <laughs> See, when he's performing a mitzvah, at that moment the Rebbe saw, he saw his face was radiating with holiness. When you do a mitzvah, you become one with Hashem. Despite the fact that he was a vulgar human being and he was the most vulgar and disgusting human being imaginable. But the, mit, the moment you're doing a mitzvah, at that moment, you become one with Hashem. And that's what the Rebbe saw at that moment. His face is radiating. And, you know, he came a day later and he saw, he saw what he was. And then he took care of him. But um, that's the... When you do a mitzvah the power of mitzvah you do a mitzvah you become part of that holiness the holiness radiates even though you don't feel it it doesn't change the fact whether you feel it or not whether you're aware of it or not a consciousness or not the reality is when you do a mitzvah you're being intimate with Hashem and you become one with Hashem with the holiness of Hashem the transcendence of Hashem the way Hashem is for Himself you become intimate with the most intimate part of Hashem every time you do a mitzvah any mitzvah. Every time you study a bit of Torah, a word of Torah, a letter of Torah, one idea in Torah. This is the meaning of the verse, and you shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy. The verse gives us the reason for the Jews' sanctity, connecting it with Hashem's supreme holiness, which Jews can attain through Torah and mitzvah. And I have separated you from other peoples, that you should be mine. Here we see that holiness implies separation, as mentioned earlier. Another verse states, You shall fulfill all my commandments and be holy unto your God. I am the Lord your God. The term your God in the possessive form recalls the relationship set up when a man betrothes a woman, whereby she becomes his wife. You, know, you, know, let's, uh, read, you want to read the uh, note? 14. The uh, Rebbe Shlita explains that the Alter Rebbe cites these verses to provide evidence of the various aspects inherent in the term has sanctified us. That sanctification is similar to the sanctification and union of a marriage we learn from the phrases, unto your God, I am the Lord your God, i.e. God is our God in a manner of a man taking a wife, whereby she becomes his wife. The second form of sanctification, the concept that Jews are A, elevated to supernal holiness, Hashem's essential holiness, and B, sanctified in the sense of being a part, is understood from the first verse as follows. The words, And you shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy, indicates that the Jew's sanctity is bound up with Hashem's supernal holiness. The concluding words, And I have separated you from other nations, that you should be mine, indicate that sanctity 
which entails being separate and apart. First he says, I am your God. You should do all the mitzvot. And you should be holy. I am your God. That I am your husband, and you're my wife. So you do the mitzvah, and we become holy, we become unified. In the previous verse, he says, you should be holy, because I am holy. He's describing that we're becoming unified and intimate with Hashem's holiness, within Hashem, with the essence of Hashem. So it's not only that God is revealing a level, a certain aspect of Himself to us, but Hashem is revealing His very essence, my holiness. You become holy with my holiness, because I am holy. You are becoming intimate with the most intimate part of Hashem, with Hashem's essence. And then I will separate you from all the nations. See, Kiddushin is two parts to marriage. One part is, Kiddushin means being separate. You separate your spouse from everyone else. You're not allowed to be intimate with anyone else. It's one part of it. And then the other part is that you become intimate with your spouse. So to being married to God has two aspects to it. Just like God is holy, we also have to be holy. We have to be separate from the world. Most of the world is off limits for a Jew. Most people are off limits. Most foods are off limits. Most behaviors are off limits. There are 365 prohibitions. The overwhelming majority of the mitzvot are prohibitions. The overwhelming majority of the world is off limits for the Jew. Because it's like God is holy and says, you should keep kosher because I am holy. You don't act immorally because I am holy. You're separate. You're apart. Just like God is separate. When you become part of God's holiness... You have to be separate and above and transcend this world. You can't be defined by this world. Just like God is above and separate from this world, even though God creates the world and He's engaged in the world and He's involved in the world, and he's, but at the, at the same time, God is not affected by the world. He remains holy and transcendent from the world. So too, the Jew, who is intimate with God, who is one with God, has to become like God. We are engaged in the world, we're involved in the world, fully engaged. Our mission is tikkun olam, we have to fix the world. But we also, at the same time, we have to be separate from the world, above the world, transcend the world, not be defined by the world. And it's only that that enables us to engage in the world and to refine the world, because we're separate. So, and it's only when we're separate, then we can become intimate with God. And become one with God. So God says, you will be holy to me. But you're connecting to my level of holiness. Kikadosh ani, ani Hashem, because I am holy and transcendent. And I will separate you from all the nations. You also will be separate and apart. We are involved with all the nations, but we're separate from all the nations. 
And that's how we interact with all the nations, by being separate, by being apart. That's how we interact with the world, by being separate and apart. We have Shabbos is holy. Shabbos, we don't deal with the world. We don't touch the world. That's how we're able to, in the six days a week, we're able to re-engage in the world and to elevate the world. So the only way for this marriage to work, the only way to become intimate with Hashem, and we become one with Hashem and like Hashem, is when we ourselves also become like Hashem. We live a holy life. We are separate and apart. At the same time, that enables us to engage and to elevate the world. So like in marriage, in order to become one with Hashem, you have to live a holy life. You have to be separate, apart. And that allows you to become intimate with God. But you can't have one without the other. You know, maybe I'll take one part of it. <laughs> I like being godly. and But the other part, the separation part... That part is not for me. You can't have one without the other. They go hand in hand. Otherwise, you lose everything. You lose all that holiness. You lose everything in the sin. It says there are 248 mitzvot corresponding to the limbs, and you have the 365 prohibitions corresponding to the veins in the body. Just like the veins. The veins contain the blood. Because what happens if you cut a vein? Your life just flows out. Your whole life just flows out. So you can have healthy limbs, 248 healthy limbs. But if you violate a prohibition and you just cut the vein and just let that life force to flow out, you die. You can't have one without the other. You can't have li- organs without limbs, without, without veins. And the blood preserved and contained. So you can't have, you know, let me serve God. But why do I have to be holy? Why do I have to be separate? Why, why keep the prohibitions? I'll keep the, the positive things. Anyway, you should be positive. You know, why think negative? Think positive. But it doesn't work that way. It's like in marriage. Open marriages. Open marriages don't work. (laughs) Why not? Be positive. We should be loving. That's an essential part of the marriage. That it's holy. It's off limits. That's what makes the intimacy. That's what creates the intimacy. The fact that it's off limits and the fact that it's exclusive and the fact that it's, it's to the exclusion of everyone else, that's what makes this intimacy special. Otherwise, there's no meaning to the intimacy. Otherwise, it's just skin deep and superficial. And you're not becoming intimate with the person himself. You can have the act, but the act itself it could be skin deep. In an open marriage, all you have is the act. You know, you can have eroticism, but there's no intimacy. In marriage, in Kiddushin, where there's holiness, where this is the only one, and it's exclusive, to the exclusion of everyone else. You're separate from everyone else. Then you can create intimacy. Then you can create a powerful, mutual attraction and a personal intimacy. Versus where you leave all your options open, you destroy 
the ability to be intimate with yourself and with your spouse and with others. So it's, you can't have one without the other. In order to have the intimacy, you have to have the separation. <laughs> Kiddushan means two things. Holiness, transcendent, separate. And that creates the, the intimacy, the complete intimacy. So he says in one verse, I will separate you from all the nations. And only then could you be holy and, and reach the level of my holiness. And then when you do the mitzvot, then we have the marriage. Then you can do the mitzvah, and you can be intimate, you can have the marriage. But you can't have the marriage if there's no separation, if there's no holiness, if there's no transcendence. I don't know if I, don't know if I told you the story with the. I think you heard the story in the. In the uh, there was a professor who became a Baltruva, returned to Judaism. And he worked. He worked in the uh, in the Pentagon. <laughs> and um, during nine eleven, I heard from someone. I mean, it's a true story. I heard someone who heard it from one of his former students. And he told him the story. He was surprised to meet him, and he sees he became a Baltruva, his former professor, and he tells him the story. And uh, his his office was in the Pentagon, but he was not there during nine eleven. He was not in his office. He was absent from the Pentagon 9-11. Not because he was busy praying slichas, because he was going to speak. He had a breakfast conference in the Twin Towers that morning. And um, it was on the lower floors, 8.30 in the morning. He comes in prepared to give a speech. He didn't realize it's a whole breakfast before he gives a speech. It's a whole breakfast. You know, it's a, non, it's a non-Jewish affair, and of course, offering ham, ham, and and before he became kosher, that was his favorite dish. <laughs> and uh, that morning, it was like something out of this world. You know, he's never he's never saw or smelled the aroma. It was just it was just too much. And he just started keeping kosher, and he was really torn. You know, I have to eat it. You know, it's unbelievable. It smells so good. They just but on the other hand, what do you mean? I just started keeping kosher. I just made a resolution. I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna eat non-kosher again. And he's wrestling back and forth. But come on, it's just once. I'll do it, and that's it. And then I'll go back. And you know, I've, I've lived like this all my life. I just started keeping kosher. I'm just fresh at this. God will understand. Let me say goodbye to the ham. <laughs> and he succumbed. It was too much. He takes the, the fork, he lifts it to his mouth, and right before it enters, at that moment, <laughs> the whole thing starts shaking. <laughs> and everyone runs out of the room. And later on, he learns that his office got a direct hit. The Pentagon. So you can't have one without the other. You can't serve Hashem, but the prohibitions, holiness, be holy, be different, be separate. Don't drink non-kosher wine. That's a little too much. Or why, you know, be positive. I can have one without the other. It doesn't work. The definition of marriage is, is two parts. Kiddush. To be intimate, you have to be separate. If you're not... 
intimate, if, you're not, if it's not exclusive, your relationship is not exclusive, and the intimacy is not intimacy. You lose that whole intimacy. What makes that relationship intimate, and what makes the attraction so powerful, is the fact that it's exclusive. You know, that, that would solve all the... Uh, people would have a lot less problems meeting and finding if they live by the Torah. If we were a society where there was no pre and no extra, then people would, uh, would find their match. So you can't have one without the other. And the same thing is with our relationship with Hashem. In order to have this relationship with Hashem, it's Kiddusha. You're connecting with the holiness of Hashem. With the essence of Hashem. In order to connect with the essence of Hashem, there are 365 prohibitions. There's holiness. You have to live a holy life. You have to eat with holiness. You have to think with holiness. You have to speak with holiness. Not just not slander, not tell a lie. But there's a holiness. No vulgarity. There's a holiness. There's a separation, a transcendence. There's something different. There walks a holy Jew who's acting holy, who acts different. Everyone walking down the street, you see a Jew, you should be able to say there's something different about him. He acts differently, behaves differently, thinks differently. His attitude is different. There's a holiness. Now, the truth is that every Jew has his holiness, whether he's aware of it or not. A Jew is holy, whether he's aware of it or not, whether he acts it or not. But then Hashem is intimate with us. His intimacy with us is also hidden and concealed. But in order to reveal that Hashem is intimate with us, that it should be overt instead of covert, you also have to bring this holiness overtly. And the way to do it is, one of the powerful ways to do it is what he's describing here. By thinking, just becoming aware of Hashem's attraction to us, of Hashem's love for us, despite our lowliness, despite the fact that we're not holy and we're not acting holy, and nevertheless Hashem is attracted to us and cares about us and loves us and wants to be intimate with us and has brought us into his innermost chamber, we can't help but care for Hashem in return and love Him in return. And want to study His Torah and do His mitzvot and connect with Him and live a holy life and act holy. The meaning is that through the fulfillment of the commandments, I become your God in the same manner as God is called the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and so on. Called thus because... The patriarchs were on the level of a vehicle unto him. The patriarchs were totally dedicated to God and nullified before him like a vehicle, like the chariot, which is totally nullified to its driver, possessing no independent will. And they were nullified and absorbed in his light. So it is with the soul of every Jew at the time he is occupied with Torah and mitzvahs. When a Jew occupies himself with Torah study and the performance of mitzvahs, he is totally nullified and absorbed in God's light. The only difference between the patriarchs and other Jews is that the patriarchs were in this state constantly, while other Jews attained this level only at the above-mentioned times. So just like 
the patriarchs are called, we say the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Why? Because the patriarchs were like a chariot. Just like when you hold a tool. Does anyone even notice the tool? Is it about the tool? It's you who's holding the tool. It's just a tool in your hand. When you, when you talk to the builder, the builder could be sitting in a tractor. It's just a tractor. You're talking to the builder. The tractor is just a tool in the hands. You don't attribute it to the tractor. The tractor is nothing. The tractor is just a tool in the hands of the builder. So all it is, all it, is it becomes an extension of the builder. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob became tools, a chariot in Hashem's hands. So all there is is Hashem. They were eagleless. They were nobody. They were nothing. They were, they were nothing. All they were, became, they became tools in Hashem's hands, and expressions of Hashem. And therefore they became one with Hashem. So when you say the God of Abraham, because he became the God of Abraham, Abraham by being eagleless, becoming a chariot to God, and like a tool, his whole being, God was like the rider, and he was God's chariot. Therefore, you can say the God of Abraham, because he became one with God, inseparable with God. And the same, same with Isaac, and the same with Jacob. So too, every Jew, when you do a mitzvah, at that moment when you're doing the mitzvah, you are a chariot. You are fulfilling God's will. You are becoming a tool in God's hands. You are the implement of God's will. God wanted you should do the mitzvah. And you, by you doing the mitzvah, you become an implement and a tool for God. So at that moment, you are one and inseparable with God's will and His holiness. And you become part of that holiness. The difference is the patriarchs and the matriarchs, they were 24-7. They were eagles. Their whole being, with every fiber of their being, every bone in their body, Everything, everything about them was about God. When they ate, when they slept, when they drank, the relationships, whatever they were doing, 24-7. Versus us, we, don't, we are not on that level to be completely egoless. We have very healthy egos. But when we do a mitzvah, and we're nullifying ourselves and doing the mitzvah, fulfilling God's will, at that moment we become an implement, a tool for God's will. So at that moment we become one with God's holiness, with God's transcendence. And then God becomes our God. And we become, we become part of God. Okay, we'll stop here. Anyone has questions, comments, thoughts? Why do they keep mentioning like, uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and, not, and the God of Moses? Why don't they mention Moses? I know we studied that he was the shepherd. But why don't they include Moses in this? Wasn't he egoless? We only have three patriarchs. The patriarchs represent love and, and the three main attributes of God, the three main emotional attributes of God. Um, and they are our fathers, and we are, we are, uh, we are their children. Moshe was also the, They're the fathers of Moshe, too. Moshe is the teacher. It's a different role. You know, they are the patriarchs, and we are the children. And we inherit that love from the patriarchs. But Moshe is our teacher. Moshe gives us the ability to develop that love, to take that love and develop it to a mature level, to internalize that love. That we get from Moshe. Moshe is the shepherd, as you mentioned, we learned earlier. But the love itself we inherit from the patriarchs. 
because they're our fathers and we are the children. So the love comes naturally, comes innately, inherently. We inherit it from the patriarchs and the matriarchs. We're not children of Moshe, but we are the biological children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're not the biological children of Moshe, but we are the students of Moshe. Moshe is our Rebbe, Moshe is our shepherd, Moshe is the one who gives us the ability to internalize these natural loves that we inherit from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So there's only three patriarchs. The inheritance, we are the biological children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, very simply. Not, not Moses. What tribe was he from? Though? Levi. And Moshe, not like Aaron. Aaron, his brother, was also biological. All of his children are priests, till today. Moshe was a one-man show. Not his children. He... Moshe remains singular, exclusive. He is eternal. There's a Moshe in every generation. The Rebbe, the Rebbe in our generation is a, is, a, is a Moshe. So Moshe is the shepherd, the faithful shepherd who enables the Jew to be able to internalize this love that it shouldn't be on a childish level, it should be on a very mature level. We should integrate it in our personality, into our personal lives, real lives. This, this, this is Moshe, our teacher. One more thing. Um, you know, in other words, uh, we're sanctifying, right? But it's also a marriage. I don't see exactly how the two go. You know, for example, like when we say Shel Kedushanu, Shel Shabbos, right? We're sanctifying. By doing a mitzvah, you become holy because you're connecting with words, the holiness of Hashem. In other words, we're thinking that we're married to Hashem. Right. And you're being intimate with the essence of Hashem. So you're becoming connected, you're becoming one, unified with the holiness of Hashem. And that holiness, you become part of that holiness. So by that intimacy... You're drawing down Hashem's holiness into, into you, unto you. Mm-hmm. You become part of that holiness. Mm-hmm. A tzaddik senses it. See, we are blind, deaf, and dumb. So we don't sense it. A tzaddik senses it, and that's why a tzaddik is ecstatic when he does a mitzvah. He's in ecstasy. He's so joyful, he's so excited that he did a mitzvah. You know, because he realizes what happens when he does a mitzvah. We do a mitzvah, and we have to force ourselves to do the mitzvah. What are we to feel what happens when we do a mitzvah? Are you kidding? Coming intimate with Hashem, with the holiness of Hashem. <laughs> we would be dancing from joy. We'd be lines out the door. But we don't sense it. Mashiach will come, we'll sense it. But right now, we don't. But it doesn't change the reality. You know, it's like, it's like the NASA scientist sitting at the... pushing a button, and not realizing when he pushes this button, you know, millions of miles away, he causes... Things happen. He doesn't feel it. I'm sitting, oh, I'm doing a button. What's the connection? I'm putting on tefillin, and you don't realize what a powerful thing is happening when you're putting on the tefillin. Mm-hmm. It's not just a ritual, a custom. Something real is happening. Mm-hmm. The holiness of Hashem, the transcendence of Hashem, Hashem in this transcendent being is becoming intimate with you. You're becoming intimate with Hashem. That hug, that kiss, what? that's real. Our soul feels it. Deep down, our soul senses. That's why our soul gets excited when we do a mitzvah. Even though we don't feel anything, that's why mitzvot are very addictive. When you do one mitzvah, it will lead you to do another mitzvah. You can't help yourself. Because the mitzvah creates internally, subconsciously, your neshama is on fire when you do a mitzvah. The neshama knows what's going on when you do a mitzvah. We don't feel. 
But our soul, deep down, feels the power of that mitzvah. How many hundreds of thousands of Jewish lives were transformed from one single mitzvah? Because they were stopped by a young yeshiva boy on 42nd Street, put on film. And he put on film for the first time in his life. And that was it. And then went back to his regular life. And that one, one time putting on film planted a seed and something started cooking inside. And before you knew it, it bubbled, it emerged and surfaced and ultimately transformed the entire life. One candle. A woman who never lit Shabbat candles before. And no visible conscious connection to anything Jewish. And she lit a Shabbat candle for the first time in her life. And all the scoffers would laugh when the Rebbe started this campaign, this mitzvah campaign. What's the big deal? A woman will light Shabbos candles once in her life. Who cares? Who put on tefillin one time in his life? What difference could that possibly make? They're not becoming a card-carrying member. But they don't understand what a mitzvah is. A mitzvah brings the holiness of Hashem, the essence of Hashem, into your life. Imagine being intimate with Hashem just once, just for one moment. (laughs) Imagine, Imagine you're intimate with Hashem just one split second. You think your life will ever be the same? Forget it. Your life, you were touched. You touched the divine. You'll never be the same. There's no going back. And something inside will start stirring and shifting. And eventually, it will completely transform your life. Not today, tomorrow, eventually. Because that mitzvah is real. Those who can scoff, those who can laugh, have no clue what happens when they do mitzvah. When they themselves do mitzvah. They could be very observant, but they're clueless of what happens, what the meaning of a mitzvah is. The mitzvah is not a ritual, a custom, because were they to really take seriously the idea of a mitzvah, they would do the mitzvah joyfully, they would do the mitzvah beautifully, not look to cut corners, they would do the mitzvah with all their heart, all their soul, every fiber of their being, with concentration, with love, with feeling. Take it seriously. Take it personally. And then it will be a different Judaism. It will be a different life. So this is the power of one single mitzvah. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.